Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the DXM podcast. That is the Deminti Mocha podcast. We are here today with the incredible artist, Sarah Friend. Uh, thank you, Sarah, for being here. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, we're going to start this where we always start, and that is just give you an opportunity to share anything you would like about yourself uh, and how we came to be here together today. Um, sure, yeah. Um, so, uh, well, my name is Sarah, um, and I, if you're watching the video version of this, I'm appearing with a snap camera lens made by another artist named Sarah Meyer. Um, I live in Berlin. Um, I first met Colby at a residency in um, France uh, that brought together a bunch of artists and technologists working with blockchain and NFTs called Glitch. Um, I've been making art with technology for many years now. I'm also a software developer. Um, perhaps relevant to our conversation today, I'm, I'm teaching blockchain art as well uh, at Cooper Union in New York. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit what I'm up to. Yeah, super. Where should we start? Let's start with, um, let's start with Glitch and perhaps this, uh, I think, you know, you deal a lot with techno-utopianism. Mm. Um, so maybe, and this is obviously going to be broad and wide and very difficult to tackle, but maybe you want to talk about like what Glitch is and why you said yes. Hmm. Well, what glitch is? Who knows? We'll have to ask Prima. Uh, <laughs> it was a, a project instigated by uh, Primavera de Filippi, who's um, a blockchain legal scholar um, and also artist who's been working in this uh, area for a long time. Um, it was a very strange email invite that came through. Actually, I got I got it simultaneously from a few different um, friends and colleagues. Uh, and the ask was to come and be part of an artist residency at a chateau in rural France with a undisclosed mysterious list of other artists, um, participants in the crypto industry. Um, and I like to think of myself as the kind of person who's up for an adventure. Um, so, uh, so I, so I said, yes, I, I had no idea what to expect. Um, I'm not sure it was what I expected. Um, I did have a lovely time. I met a lot of lovely people, had some strange experiences, did a lot of dancing in a Zentai suit. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, was that, I don't know. That was not a, that was a description of what happened, but <laughs> it probably left more questions than answers. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, uh... Maybe for me, I get obsessed with the way that, you know, these hacker types, these pirate types can kind of come together and create these little like viruses that somehow can infect and take over the world. Right. And I very much think of crypto art or NFTs as a bit of a, a Trojan. Um, and, you know, so many of these things kind of relate perhaps to the idea that one plus one can equal three. Um, the idea that there is like magic between two spaces and all it kind of takes is a little bit of electricity. Uh, so, 
you know, many are, I think, unplanned and, you know, perhaps like dancing in a Zentai suit is just as valuable as going to the conference. Um, so I think Glitch is definitely like a, a place of unexpected magic. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think the world increasingly feels perhaps more organized, but equally chaotic. Uh, so <laughs> I don't really know where I'm going with this, but, um, you know, I, I just love, I love that duality and I love, you know, just kind of the, the sense of play and I love kind of in the work that you do, um, you know, the sense of, of play that you invite in that as well. Uh, so unless... Yeah, yeah I would agree that Glitch is one of these places where you, or I definitely had the feeling that I'd stepped outside of normal reality to go to this other extra place. Um, and when you said one plus one equals three, I, I had a, actually that triggered for me, well, a little bit of the feeling of the whole blockchain industry, but especially the early blockchain industry of, um, well, I mean, for one thing, um, resources for artists have been generated out of seemingly nowhere. Um, not nowhere, of course, but um, it does have that feeling sometimes. Um, and I think that Glitch captured something that was very present for me in the early days of working in the blockchain industry mm -hmm. and has felt less so, but um, in, in the later years, but really the feeling like anything could happen. Um, yeah, hard to articulate, but... <laughs> not, not really, because we saw the same story with the internet, mm -hmm. right? We saw the internet in the 90s go from this place of, um, you know, incredible freedom, incredible promise. Um, same, kind of the, the open idea of, well, Bitcoin or Ethereum, especially, uh, and you know, incredible ideas being fostered, grown, and then, you know, kind of when rubber meets the road, a, a lot of talk, hype, and marketing, and then attracting all sorts of scammers. I think we saw a very similar thing um, with NFTs, more so than crypto art, I'd say, uh, although opportunists abound. I'm curious uh, how you would make the distinguishment Oh, me? NFTs I, in general. Yeah, I, I mean, kind of things which aren't art, like real estate NFTs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think NFTs is just a technical term, right? Mm -hmm. And I think crypto art seeks to hopefully capture some of like the philosophical underpinnings of blockchain and blockchain tech, whether that's self sovereignty or right to privacy or um, immutability, uncensorability, kind of expressing hard, abstract concepts to people through imagery, iconography, um, almost the, in, in my mind, it's almost like the, the writing of a, mm, a new sort of techno religion. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's definitely really ideological. It's interesting. Um, it's funny. Okay. I think I'm thinking of a few things. We're not even talking about my art yet. We're talking about just <laughs> other random stuff, um, <laughs> yeah. but it's interesting stuff. Uh, yeah. the, um, yeah, the, 
so actually for my my class last week we we were introducing um like the cypherpunks right. and the sort of early days of bitcoin and talking about sort of um well one of the the texts for the first week is the cypherpunk manifesto sure um which is like quite a short text it's super utopian um and it's it's compelling but it's also you read it now and it's a little bit naive right because it's like oh like these ideas and the ideals um that people had at this time and the ideologies that went into why the internet um uh, uh ended up becoming uh what it is it's almost like um they seem naive now because you've seen sort of these massive platforms and the surveillance state and all the ways that we've become actually unfree and our attention our attention sort has been captured. Um, so it's kind of interesting to chart and very parallel maybe to um, what has happened or is on is happening in an ongoing way with the blockchain industry. Yeah, um, yeah it's super interesting to revisit. It's almost like. Uh, maybe there's like an inevitability of like <laughs> not seeing the problems you're going to create uh and yeah but it's um i don't know i wrote this um article about uh blockchain uh back in 2016 um and it never got published it was for dazed and dazed was like this is way too technical for our art audience. Um, and to be fair, I did just read it about, well, 20 minutes ago. Um, oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was not very technical. No, it really isn't. Like yeah. for our eyes today, right? Um, I'm sure they've published something like more technical um, in these past few years. But anyway, it kind of closes with like an Edward Snowden statement about like the internet was supposed to be endless freedom. Um, look what we got. I feel like there's this very similar um, trajectory perhaps that we've seen um, and will continue to see with the crypto industry over time. I mean, that's terrifying. No, I mean, you, you feel, I feel the rhyme again and again. I, I want so much to get out of what feels like this inescapable black hole of like capitalism culture and, and consumption, um, all being so uniquely tied. And it was of course, what attracted me to Bitcoin Ethereum in the first place was that we could rewrite the rules. We could redefine the architecture, uh, and instead it, it, for me, it feels like a black hole. It feels inescapable. Um, and, you know, even though we might like believe that technology gives us the ability to like exponentiate our own voice, our own power, um, be more sovereign, be, uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I really wonder if that's the case now. I'm not so like nihilistic or naive or whatever it is to just like give up and fall back, but it's almost like what for? Um, mm. So I guess the question is, I mean, do you, do you think that like a, a techno utopia is possible? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
No, no, no small questions here on the podcast. Yes, yeah, right, right. right. like when right. I have interesting people, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. I, I think I'm very suspicious of utopias in general. Sure. I think that we like, we try to build towards utopias, but we never get them. It's just, this is funny though. I actually, I don't feel hopeless about the possibility of building new things with technology. Um, and I actually see like a weird beauty in the inevitable mm. failure of us executing on the vision of the sort of relationship to technology that we might want. It's like, well, we'll have some good ideas. We'll solve some of the problems we've accidentally created. We'll create new problems. We'll have to build again. Um, it sort of seems inevitable to keep reinventing. And actually that process of change, of constantly rethinking what technology we want is is interesting. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't aspire to the finished state, you know, where mm -hmm. we have the perfect technology and we don't have to, you know, um, adapt it or rethink it in some way where, where, you know, well, that would be quite boring as a person who builds technology, right? Yeah. Um, can I diverge a little bit? And, and perhaps this is related to life forms. We can take it there if you want. Um, but what is generally your relationship to nature and, and the natural? Um, interesting pivot. Um, I mean, uh, I don't, I, that's also quite a big question. And I'm not fully sure where to start with it. Um, I, I think it's very important to bring into your life. I'm a gardener. Yeah. Um, I'm a dog carer. Um, I actually live in like the suburbs um, of Berlin, uh, yeah. which is not necessarily like the North American picture of suburbs, but um, it's very green here. Actually, I take my, my like I walk my dog in this little forest beside the house every day and every day it's the best thing I do. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, personally quite important to me uh, in a sort of more existential sense or in terms of artworks. Um, I think a lot about sort of the human relationship to the natural world, the sort of um, difficulty of understanding or relating to it um there's always i think inevitably maybe a lot of projection um by humans onto nature of what we think it is what we think it's for um it's funny actually the glitch uh residency that um we began the conversation with is doing um a drop um from some of the artists who were part of it um in september uh 14th i believe uh and the theme is ecotone and an ecotone is a boundary area between two sort of biomes where there's more um, diversity in terms of species than in either separate biome it's kind of like a transition area where they're bleeding together mm. and it was chosen as the theme for the glitch auction because um, glitch uh, i think well it was trying to bring together people from different sort of specialties all working with crypto and art um, to sort of create similarly like a boundary area that was richer um, as a result. Um, and my piece for that is um, sort of, 
exploring these. It's a, it's a, it's a face filter um, that sort of superimposes, um, you know, your face onto this like very idealized image of an Arctic landscape, which I think is maybe a, a point of projection for um, a, a lot of climate anxiety right now. Like, mm. what is the landscape that you imagine as like idyllic and being destroyed? And that is true, obviously, like, <laughs> um, we, we should be thinking about those things, but there's also a way that it leads to forgetting that what nature actually is in a way is, um, like the forest I walk my dog in, even though it's full of like teenagers from the local high school, like drinking wine and a whole bunch of garbage. Um, it's also an animal habitat, um, mm. as well. So I don't know, I was thinking about like, <laughs> um, the way that you can end up relating to nature um, through these sort of idealized images of places you'll never go um, mm. and how they're almost like face filters for nature. Really interesting. I, I had a conversation. Okay, this brings up so many interesting points, but uh, I had a conversation with Sterling Crispin about like, so much of the uh, the representation of of imagery, how we might know nature through like National Geographic or uh, through you know a series of photos that are online, and and we come to think that we know the place, but we know the place, of course, in its most like idealized version, or you know we have an understanding of like the animals of the African savanna through you know, the, the representation of the image and we think it perhaps is the same. And, you know, I asked the question the other day is like, you know, what is nature in the metaverse? What is like the, the digital in between or, or wilderness? Um, and how, you know, how do we even begin to represent that and conceptualize it and, and bring it, like the outside in? Hmm. Uh, well, I want to know, did you ask that to Sterling Crispin? And if so, what did he say? I didn't. I asked it. I asked it publicly. Um, mm. Yeah, but I always love to, to talk with Sterling. He's absolutely brilliant. What was the response to the question? Uh, it was a lot of people like submitting their own AI prompts. <laughs> Mm -hmm. of, of nature which mm -hmm. is which is interesting you know that's kind of almost like a, a visual representation of, of consciousness mm -hmm. um so but you know he turned me on to this french philosophy book called society of the spectacle that i've been oh. yeah guy deport that i've been reading through and um yeah i you know i have been two years like tethered to this computer and tethered to these relationships on on cameras like this and i think uh you know more and more people are are coming back together and awakening awakening to each other again after what was for most uh probably you know an unrecognized traumatic period during covid and lockdown and kind of more like authoritarianism um you know, by by these governments, and you know, I live in a very also wooded, secluded place, uh, so it's it's just high on my mind 
uh, more and more about how we just facilitate a, a healthy balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, I've been thinking about this too. It's, it's a few things. I mean, uh, first off, nature and the metaverse. Fascinating question. Um, would love to return to it. But um, in terms of sort of, I've been thinking about the early internet a lot, you know, like, I, I don't know, I was, I was online when I was a kid, I had like no screen time limits, I had a very unusual situation. Um, so I'm in my early 30s. Um, so I remember like dial up internet, I remember like yeah. the first internet. Um, and my stepdad had like a computer for his home business that he decided to replace at one point and my family gave it to me and then they put it in my room because I was an only child. So there was like no sibling to share. It. I mean, I'm still an only child. Uh, there was no sibling to share it with. So I had like completely unrestricted access to the internet from about 12. Um, you know, a lot, a, lot, a lot of my current life is <laughs> a result of this, um, I yeah. think. Um, but the early internet, it felt really magical. It felt like um, I actually kind of like a wilderness, like someplace that you could stumble and find something um, that you didn't ever expect anyone would have put online. Um, and there's like an illicitness to it. Um, I definitely remember like an un like a, a uncensored internet, and not that you know, but it's just like. Google pulls a lot of things out of your top search results that are not very manicured, let's say. Right. Um, now, but then there was also a feeling like information could actually be outsider. And I don't feel like that's true or that's very rare to feel like I've actually found some like secret information. Now the world is so legible. Anyway, mm. why am I talking about this is because you were saying about, about balance and screen time and um, being online and being offline. And I, I feel like it's inverted now in the early internet, you know, mm. like the early internet, I could, my public life was my physical life. Um, and then I went mm. online to find some like special experience that I couldn't find anywhere else and felt maybe transgressive in some way, or, um, like I was exploring somewhere that was genuinely new, but actually I feel like it's inverted and actually, and the, the, place the the novel experience that is actually outside feels offline now you know um yeah super powerful you agree you have I the same feeling i totally totally agree um there is like no physical space. Any, I mean, I'm somebody who, who like works from home, travels a fair bit, but I spend the majority of my time like alone and at home. And, you know, my primary means of existing is, is now on the internet. Uh, and, you know, when I was growing up, no, there was like sports and school and socialization. And then, you know, I would go online to like play games or, you know, in like group chats um, or like AOL instant messenger. Uh, and it was, you know, it was pseudonymous. Um, I'm somebody who's chosen to exist publicly online. 
as you have as well. Um, and, you know, that is rare in, in this space. Um, mm. But I think it is also important that, you know, there is a face to values and some consistency of that persona over time. And, you know, if as long as there is like a right to free speech, well, you might as well exercise that right as best as possible to like question where we're going because uh frankly it doesn't doesn't feel great to me the the, the larger direction um mm. so yeah i agree and then you know if i go on a hike that that's me escaping from my mm. life that's me taking time off um yeah yeah you won't be nothing you're completely outside of the world of capture and you're well no you're not anonymous uh necessarily in any meaningful way but you're that's where that's where potentially outsider experiences might yeah live better now yeah i'm an um, i mean i am anonymous in the real world for the most part mm -hmm. right you know unless i'm going to like some nft thing uh, you know, I have friends all over the world, but nobody knows who I am or recognizes me in town. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which... Oh, same. My God. No one in the German suburbs knows who I am. Right. It's great. <laughs> you can go outside wearing literally anything you want. Yeah. And, and um, that's, that's where you get to be private, which is weird. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm interested in, in this. I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Um, these kinds of questions and, um, do you have any alts? Uh, I don't. No alts. No. Okay. Because I mean, I also think I've also do been you? thinking about. Uh, I do. Cool. Um, and we are absolutely not revealing any of the alts on the podcast, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> uh, and I think there's like people who've leaned into it fully and have almost like a sense of like many fragment fragmentary online identities. Yeah. Um, and then there are people who maybe have like, and I know of many people who have like one alt, which is like a friends only alt, but then there's like the full anon alt. Like I know people who have an alt that like, I know that they have it, but I don't know what it is. And I don't think anyone who knows them knows what it is. Um, and so I think this is also something that feels related somehow. Um, totally, totally. Mm -hmm. um, I think there was like an expectation in life before the internet that you were one cohesive person. And now I think it is okay to be almost like schizophrenic with your personalities and exploring that. And I, I don't know perhaps what that is a consequence of, but that definitely does feel like an increase in freedom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it might be connected to the ways that certain, um, you know, identity discourse in general. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more ability to talk about different kinds of identities, language for different kinds of identities now. And I think that the ability to try on new identities online might be part of the way we talk about that. Totally. Um, now, And just fluidity in general, right? Perhaps there's just like more information and, and more of a ability to maintain just like a, I don't know, like a cognitive openness to... Uh, just this vast stream of information that we intake every day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Information processing is a <laughs> key skill of 2022. Yeah. 
Um, I have been thinking, actually, it's been a couple years since I've been saying this, but um, that Sarah Friend is actually an avatar. Mm. You know, like Sarah, Sarah Friend with that name online is actually like an avatar of a person who I sometimes embody, but yeah. isn't necessarily, but like, and that's actually been a really freeing way to conceive of it. Um, is like, oh, okay, this is an event where perhaps like an NFT conference where I have to go and I have to appear as like Sarah Friend, the artist. Yeah. Um, but then I get to like take her off later, you know? And I don't know. I mean, did we ever have a cohesive actual self? Like perhaps no, but um, it starts to feel really, it's, yeah, like literal. Um, well, you know, that's a, it's a super interesting point because you called me Colby in the beginning and very few people now call me Colby, like because most people in this space know me as Colborn. Mm. Uh, but Colby was the nickname that my parents give me that gave me that all my friends knew me by and then at some point within the last like four or five years, I just told everybody I was Colborn. And that's, you know, like my real legal name. And that is definitely like a distinct new identity as opposed to more of like the, the kid who is, was Colby. Mm -hmm. um, so at a place like Glitch where kind of I'm inviting again, like that child, like wonder and a manager, maybe that is how I chose to like present and share myself then. Hmm. I think that's why I think that's what people were calling you there. And yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. where I got it from. That's very funny and interesting, yeah, isn't it? It is. Well, I will I will switch to Colborne for No, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> please don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you know me as Colby, that's cool. With uh my my uh like university best friend has uh changed her name a couple times, uh for sort of similar like professional reasons. And um it's funny, uh uh to have moved along them um, and watch the sort of evolution of her artist self. Yeah. Well, we should probably talk about some of your arts. I first came across Life Forms uh, from McCole at Vertical Crypto Art, and she was super sad that her life form had died. Um, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so, would love for you to just like describe that project. Um, yeah, and kind of like the cool little intricacies that you baked yeah, into. Yeah, sure. Um, well, Life Forms is a um, actually what I was working on in Glitch when I was sitting around at my computer. Um, so Life Forms uh, was announced in September 2021, and it opened to the public uh, November 14th. Um, and Life Forms are NFT-based entities. Uh, that, like any living thing, need to be cared for in order to stay alive. Um, and the way that you care for a life form is within 90 days of receiving it, you have to give it away. I was interested in in making the life forms. Um, well, I think I, I, I'm a smart contract developer. I was a smart contract developer before the ERC-721 token standard that we know and love today is the NFT standard actually was created. Um, and I've been interested in this quality of tokens and token standards for a long time is sort of what they don't define. You know, they, they, they claim, you know, uh, well, this, this behavior um, has to be part of the NFT, this behavior has to be part of the token. Um, but there's a lot of um, flexibility or space in and outside of that. 
Um, so life forms is, I think that's one of the interests that led to life forms. Um, another is um, maybe that I think some one of the most interesting questions of NFTs and these digital assets of all kinds really is like what ownership means, mm. what ownership models um, the, these digital assets are um, creating, because I don't think that there's any need. And I mean, cryptocurrencies were technically innovative because they allowed um, digital things to have quali qualities of ownership that we previously associated only with physical things or things which had an existence inside the legal system. Hmm. But still there's been almost like a, perhaps a contained a space of imagination um, for what ownership could actually be and how it could work in many implementations. Um, and so I think Lifeforms is about sort of reframing that a little bit. Ownership as collaborative, ownership as an act of care, um, ownership as an active process, um, a participatory process, sort of all these things. Um, and I guess in terms of the Lifeforms themselves, um, they're quite cute. Um, I think um, they uh, I get... There are some features I thought I would get into Lifeforms actually this year, but it's um, I'm a victim of my own <laughs> um, ambition. Yeah, exactly. So um, they're not in, but they do give you little status updates, um, which are like quite that perhaps tugging on the heartstrings <laughs> as the Lifeform gets closer and closer to its needing to move hmm. date. Um, and they, uh, after you've owned one for 90 days if it survives that <laughs> initial trial um it evolves and takes on more colors um, mm. as well uh so yeah that's a quick quick intro to life forms maybe not so quick uh, a few of the things that life forms are thinking about or that i was thinking about with life forms do you know how many are still alive oh no everyone always asks me this uh and then i have never i have never remembered to check the count before uh coming into the call i recently did i recently did um like a, a life cycle analysis of the first 50 life forms um yeah. for an exhibition um in new zealand uh curated by uh simon denny and karamia Mueller. Mm. um and it's about sort of well it's called creation stories but it's also about social graphs um, and, and things which are connected in these sort of network patterns. And um, so I, I was like, ah, uh, 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 let's analyze the behavior of the life forms. And I think of the first 50, nine of them are still alive. Um, so not a good survival rate, <laughs> um, but yeah. some still out there. Uh, the oldest life forms are um, approaching one year old. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the other findings was that of the first 50, I think something like like more than more than 20, less than 30 of them, okay, because I don't remember the exact number, yeah. um, had died before ever passing hands. So by far, most life forms um, are created and then die without ever being passed. It's actually a little bit sad, to be honest. Um, I don't know. I regret doing the data analysis. Maybe it saps the. It's like oh, the, well, there's there's, there's there's something there. Life form graveyard. Yeah, uh, you know we have 
five minutes, which is a terrible time to ask. No, you. we can't end on life form graveyard. <laughs> no, 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 we're, no, 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 we're not. We're, we're, we're gonna we're gonna go. Um, we'll 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 go positive and say recently you agreed to be represented by Nagel Drexler. You have a solo show coming up with them. Yes, Will you and it tell opens us very about that? Thank you. Yeah, gladly. Uh, it's why the studio is such a mess. It's because I've been, it's producing physical work. And so um, I'm having all these things that I'm packing up right now uh, to be picked up um, in two days. So, um, but it's, uh, the exhibition is um, sort of returning actually in some ways to the protocol layer and thinking about the infrastructure um, that is running the protocols uh, like blockchains, but actually also the internet itself. Um, so I started looking at data centers. Um, I actually went to a data center in Berlin um, and did a tour of their facility. Um, and in the objects and sculptures in the exhibition, I have a bunch of um, waste materials from the data center. Mm. Um, which are going to be part of it. I would say the, yeah, so it's this protocol layer, infrastructure, hardware, but then also maybe the incentives which go into mining. Because I feel like, um, well, actually one of the themes from, from Lifeforms and from um, off another NFT project I've done is sort of this um, tension maybe between like working with others and behaving in, in, as an individual. Um, in a self-interested way. I, I think that, that that tension maybe between, well, competition and collaboration is very present and actually maybe the defining tension of the infrastructure layer of blockchain mining. It's kind of like about incentives and collaboration and um, infrastructure. And we'll just say, if you want to know more, go see the show. Please come to the show. It opens yeah. uh, September 16th in Berlin um at gallery nagel draxler um it's uh that week is going to be art week and blockchain week um which is to say uh like get ready to feel tired and and the merge happens on the 15th so after you're done celebrating go to the show <laughs> opening exactly with yeah. any luck um you know the blockchain will still be running yeah. <laughs> No, I'm sure it'll go well. I'm sure it'll go well. Um, yes. I'm very excited. Um, we've been waiting for this moment for a long time. So We, we really have. Um, okay, cool. Oh, last thing, please let everybody know where they can find you if you're on socials, websites. Uh, yeah. Happily, yeah. My, my website is uh, isthisa.com, which is not a good URL for saying. I-S-T-H-I-S-A, um, <laughs> <laughs> period. Dot. Calm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and my handle on um, Instagram and Twitter is uh, at is this an art? Is it an art? Uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I, this is my handle, but I'm not the art decider. <laughs> there you go. Sometimes Perfect. I, sometimes I weigh in, but <laughs> we'll let, we'll let time will tell. Uh, okay, cool. I'm Colborn Bell with Sarah Friend. Uh, this is the DXM podcast. Uh, yeah, everybody, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Breaking news.